This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, about a month and a half ago, I started a big series called Living Inside Out. And I broke that into three series. What was the first one called? You're full of it. And uh, we finished that two weeks ago. And um, I want to do a real quick recap uh, of that. And let me, let me say this. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, in your service guide, there should have been a note sheet. And you can follow along on that note sheet. There's a couple blanks. You can fill in blanks there. Uh, if you have a phone or a tablet or something on, you can also follow along on the Bible app on iPhone or Android uh, or whatever. You can follow the instructions there. And the notes are, should be already loaded into your, uh, into your app there. So, uh, so with that, we started, we did four weeks that we talked about, you're full of it. We talked about what's inside of your heart eventually comes out, right? Eventually, one way or the other. It eventually comes out of our mouth, our actions, our attitudes, or whatever it is. And only what's already inside of us can come out, right? Sometimes we do something, we react in a way, and we just, we're kind of ashamed. We think, where in the world did that come from? Why did I respond that way? It's because that was already in our heart. Somewhere along the way, that got into our heart, right? And so we talked about when the pressure is on, your heart will be exposed. We talked about how the human heart by default is full of selfishness. How many of you would agree with that? We can be selfish folks. And the potential for selfishness comes through the gift of free will. It's part of it. We know that as human beings, our selfishness and our inability not to sin just proves our need for a Savior, doesn't it? And so Jesus comes because of our sin, because of our selfishness. God decided to do what it took to restore our spirits. And unfortunately, there was nothing salvageable in us. So Jesus paid the ultimate price. And he started over from scratch with mankind. When we receive Christ, our life isn't just transformed. God starts over and he creates something brand new and perfect from nothing. And so we concluded the last week, we were talking about well, if I'm a new creation, why in the world can I be so selfish sometimes? How many of you are believers and you surprise yourself with how selfish you can be sometimes? You can raise both hands, right? We talked about how we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Our spirit is the new creation. Our soul needs help, right? Our so spirit is what's supposed to be in charge, but we're born with a dead spirit, so our soul is used to being in charge. Suddenly we become this new creation. Our spirit comes alive. It's supposed to be leading the way in the spirit. And the soul says, I don't think so. Right? And so that's why we have to work hard at bringing our soul into submission, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it's a hard thing sometimes, but it is our lifelong process. It's something that we work out throughout our entire lifetime, right? So today, we're beginning series two in this. And I'm calling it the proof is in the... Fruit, you can put that. <laughs> the proof is in the fruit. We are a new creation if we receive Christ. We're full of Jesus, the Spirit of God. We allow what He's placed within us to shine forth. We live from the inside out. So, what is that supposed to look like? And that is the fruit. I want you to want us to look real quick. I'm going to be jumping around. I'm going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, though. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read to you verse 27, and I'm on, in the New Living Bible, it says, all of you together are Christ's body. Now, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, so he's speaking to the church. How many of you are the church? We are, we're not in Corinth. We've moved to Olive Branch, Mississippi. But we are the church. So he's speaking to us. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. How many of you would, could say, that's me? In the Message Bible, it says, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part even mean anything. Isn't that cool? Never read that before from the Message Bible. So what does it mean to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? We've heard this. As long as we've been a believer, right? We're the hands and the feet of Jesus. We've heard songs about it on K-Love. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, right? What does that mean? Well, we know that when Jesus left the earth, he left the earth in physical form at the Mount of Ascension, right? He's gone. But as believers, we've surrendered our life to Jesus, right? We've been made this new creation. We've had our relationship with the Father restored. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Jesus who lives through us, right? Jesus isn't currently walking the earth in physical form as he, we saw in the Gospels. We are now his body, right? We are now commanded to go into the world, our everyday life, and be Jesus to every person we come in contact with. Each of us, no matter who we are, we have an important part to play. In 1 Corinthians 12, in verses 12 and 13 from the Message Bible again, it says, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us now, each of us is now a part of his resurrected body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we have all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves like Jew or Greek or slave, or free, or American, or Asian, or black, or white, or male, or female, these labels are no longer useful. They mean nothing because we're a part of one body, right? We are individually each an important part of his body. Well, how is that possible? How can I still be an individual and be a part of the body of Christ. I was thinking, I was thinking, if I cut off my hands, if somebody cut off my hands and placed them on this table right here, like Cousin It, was that his name? I'm sorry. They put that hands on the table there. Are those hands Rob Thomas? No. Yeah. They're not me. There's no other hands like them. They're individual, right? They're unique. Now, they are not me. However, 
those hands are part of my body. Correct? Are they important? Well, they are to me. Yeah, they're important. I'd like to hang on to them. But they are not me. Right? You can cut my hands off and I can go along handless for the rest of my life and you would still say, hey, that's Rob Thomas. Right? But that was a part of my body. We are each individuals and we each have an important part to play and we are each an important part of the body of Christ. Let me give you another example. I need a volunteer. Come on. I, 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 I was talking to him, not you, Ron. <laughs> Trying to jump ahead of his family. Push the kids aside. What's up, man? So, we're going to say you're the body of Christ. You are Jesus. You are the body of Christ. And each one of us is a part of your body. So, we got, we got your good-looking head here. We got your arms, your biceps, your hands, them rock-hard abs. Ready? Got every part that we make up as part of the body of Christ, right? Now, say all of a sudden, his hands decided they wanted to take a nap today. They didn't want to be a part. So we got these little things here. Let me see your hands. Let me get your other hand first. Sorry. We put these on here. Yep. Better hope I can get them all. All right. So now we got those. So as the body of Christ, you're his hands, but you decided, I don't want to be a part. I don't want to play. My, I, don't, I don't want to do my part in the body of Christ today. I'm going to wait till I get older. I'm going to wait till I get a little more together. I've got other plans, whatever it may be. Hey, if you know, that handicaps things just a little bit. So why don't you um, do something simple for me. Do some jumping jacks for me right quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, here you go. Pour some of my water into this cup right quick. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> now, here's the point. I knew he was going to do it. Here's the thing. The body of Christ is always going to win. And it's always going to accomplish what God created it to do. However, you realize that we can slow things down. We don't do what God called us to do. All of a sudden, he's trying to, he has to think this through. Okay, how am I going to do this? And he's having to rely on his left leg as he leans over, and he's trying to pour this thing. More efforts having to be put on other parts and stuff because these two folks right here chose not to be a part and not to do what they were called to do. Let me take these off for you. Let me see if I can figure this out. All right, one. And I think I got the wrong side. I don't know. Oh, there we go. All right. Y'all give him a hand. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. With the hat, the hands doing what they're supposed to, tasks are much more difficult. They take longer. And it's the same with the body of Christ. Unfortunately, when we don't do our part, when we sit on the sidelines, we can handicap the effort. God will accomplish it. But we're not going to do what he's called us to do. We're not going to have the satisfaction of that. We're not going to be blessed the way he wants to bless us. And more is going to be put on others instead of us. How many of you know we got to pull our own weight? We expect our kids to do it in our houses, right? In our homes. Pull your own weight. 
Do your part. People who don't do their part, you know, you, you got a 30-year-old living at home that won't come in the room. All they want to do is play video games. That kind of ticks us off as parents, right? It's time to kick them out or do something, light a fire under their rear end because they're not doing their part, right? When we surrender to Christ, it's no longer life as usual. We become part of something so much bigger than we can ever imagine. We actually become part of Jesus in the earth. So he speaks through us. He touches through us. He heals through us. He loves through us. We're called to something great. So we're part of the body of Jesus. We are Jesus walking the earth today. So what does it mean to be his hands and feet? If Jesus is in us and we're part of his body, what does it mean to live from the inside out? What is the fruit? So I've got four things in your note sheets as you can follow along today. Four things I want to talk about what of Jesus should be seen in us. What of Jesus should be seen in us? Y'all ready? Number one. Number one is his heart. His heart. I see this as the love and compassion of our God. And hopefully most of you would agree that what the world needs more than anything, especially today, is to see the love of God. And the love of God can only be extended through us to others. We must have his heart for people. You know, I was looking, most of us know John chapter 11, verse 35. We know it is the shortest verse in the Bible. What does it say? Jesus wept. And verse 36 said, that, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. What's going on here? Well, this is the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus' friend Lazarus had just passed away. And I actually want to back up a few verses. If you go back to verse 32, and I'm actually going to read from the English Standard Version. But it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, and she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, we may wonder why Jesus wept there. And, and actually, I think there's probably any number of reasons. But I'll tell you reasons I, I don't think that he wept. I don't believe for a second that Jesus was weeping over Lazarus. Jesus knew days earlier, knew that Lazarus was going to die, and he knew that Lazarus was going to rise. How do we know that he knew Lazarus was going to rise? Well, he walked up and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he waited until Lazarus walked out, right? He didn't have any doubt. He didn't say, well, Lazarus, you know, sorry I didn't get here sooner, but if, if it's, if, Lord, if, Father, if it's your will, you? he knew. He knew Lazarus was going to come forth. So, and if you look back further in Scripture, as I said, we see, too, he knew Lazarus was going to die. So, I don't believe for a second that he was weeping over Lazarus. I don't believe he was weeping over his reputation. We see Mary, who said, Lord, if you had just been here sooner, and there was others saying, oh, he loved him so much, why couldn't he have just healed his friend? Why couldn't he have just been here? I don't believe he was going, oh, no, my reputation's tarnished. 
I don't believe he was weeping because he felt like a failure. Oh, I love Mary and Martha, and I let them down. I didn't get here on time. I don't believe that any of these are the reasons that he wept. It says that he wept and that he was deeply moved and troubled. I believe one of the primary reasons was just simply his compassion. I think that he looked at this family that he loved so much, all gathered around, and they were absolutely torn apart and broken. And I believe it absolutely tore and broke the heart of Jesus. In Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34, just another example, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, a huge crowd followed. Suddenly they came upon two blind men sitting along the road. And when they heard it was Jesus passing, these blind men cried out and said, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, son of David. The crowd tried to hush them up. I mean, Jesus was giving his message, right? They were like, hush, stop being so loud. But they crowd out even louder, saying, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, son of David. Jesus stopped and called over, what do you want from me? And they said, Master, we want our eyes open. We want to see. Again, we see here, deeply moved, Jesus touched their eyes. And they had their sight back that very instant. And they joined the procession. How many of you can see the heart of Jesus, the compassion, the love? Let's go on to another spot here. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reporting kingdom news, healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, what's it say? His heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Who are the workers? Who are the harvest hands? We are. Do you realize that Jesus was excited about the day that you would come into the world because you could touch more people with his love and his compassion, that your heart could break just like his for others, and that that love would motivate you to step outside of your comfort zone and do something you wouldn't normally do, self-sacrifice, be selfless, and do something for somebody else, to bring the gospel of Jesus, to bring healing, whatever it may be. This is what he was talking about here. How few workers pray for harvest hands. He knew that you could touch hurting people. He knew that you could bring hope to the hopeless, that you could heal their afflictions in Jesus' name. He knew that he could do so much, so much more through you than he could do alone. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing any would perish. Peter's saying here that it is not God's will that any should die outside of faith in Jesus. Don't y'all agree? It's not God's will. His will is that every person would come to him. We know that not all are, right? But we know that he's patient. God doesn't want anybody to die in sin but that they would come and believe and receive eternal life. Jesus, his heart is for people. He loves people. He's so patient and compassionate. How many of you would say he has been very patient and compassionate toward you? Certainly has toward me. This is our job now. 
Our job is to be patient and compassionate with the world around us. We have to pray to have more of the heart of Jesus. Number two, so we got to have his heart. Number two is his hands. What parts of Jesus should people see in us? His hands. I see this as meeting the needs of others. You realize Jesus walked as a human being in the earth, and so he understands what it's like to be human, right? And I was thinking about this um, back early in the week. I thought, you know, Jesus knew as he went out and he ministered to people, he knew that every human being has innate needs and desires within themselves, very specific needs. And I, I started making a list. Every human being desires to be loved, to be accepted, to be forgiven, to have purpose and meaning in life, to be a unique individual, to be free from, free, from fear, guilt, worry, resentment, discouragement, loneliness. These are all things within every human being, right? And these are needs that Jesus' hands went forth and met. In Matthew 9, I'm, you don't have to look it up, Matthew 9, 35, 38, we just read this a minute ago. It says, Jesus visited all the towns and villages, healing their diseased bodies, healing their bruised and hurt lives. Because of Jesus' love and because of his compassion, he was constantly at work meeting the needs of others. Loving, accepting, forgiving, breaking down strongholds, casting out demons, healing the sick. His hands were always going forth, meeting the needs of the lives that he came in contact with. We know that his love selflessly compelled him to a place where he probably got little sleep. He probably had very little alone time. It drove him all the way to the place of self-sacrifice, right? Let's look at um, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. And I'm going to read again from the Message Bible. It says, when he finally arrives, talking about Jesus, blazing in beauty with all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's, all, it's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped the visit. I was in prison and you came to me. And it says, those sheep are going to say, master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will say, I tell you the solemn truth. Whenever you did, whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. What we do for others, we're doing for Jesus. It's part of our worship. And this is his heart. This is his heart that we carry his heart every moment of every day to those around us. That we be his hands and that we go and we touch those who are needy. We bring food to the hungry. We bring hope to the hopeless. We bring that healing touch to those that are sick, to those that are ill, those who are needing. And let me say this too. Jesus didn't just fix the symptoms of their sickness or whatever it may be. We know that he went to the root cause and he always addressed the more significant spiritual issues that were underlying as well, right? 
Which brings us to number three. We are to be his voice, the voice of Jesus. I see this as the uncompromising truth. There's a lot of people today that think they're speaking the voice of Jesus, but that voice is compromised. We have to have the heart of Jesus. We have to have the hands of Jesus, but we also have to be the voice of Jesus. John 1.1 tells us that Jesus was, is, and always will be the word, right? We know that Jesus' words carry weight. When he opened his mouth, what came out? Life, hope, truth, right? His words, we know, were full of faith. He didn't see things according to the natural. He always saw things according to their potential and the way they were intended to be, right? His words were never compromised. His word never wavered. He never watered things down. His words were always full of love, even in the harshest moments. And he had some harsh moments, didn't he? Jesus used some of his harshest rebukes with the Jewish leaders. We know in Matthew 23, 33, he said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Is that in love? Jesus always spoke in love. We know John the Baptist did the same thing. He used almost the same words. He spoke to the crowds, came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And sometimes we wonder, we think, well, how was there, how was there love in that? Why did... Jesus' words have to be so harsh. Y'all realize, y'all know, sometimes harsh words are necessary. There is a time and place for them, isn't there? For instance, if there was a bridge out ahead, would you be using nice, kind words from the side of the road? Or would you be running out to the middle of the road, screaming at the top of your lungs, sounding rude and direct? Right? We'd be running out there. We're going to stand on the side being afraid I'll offend somebody. The bridge is out. You're going to die. Stop. You big dummy. Right? (laughs) Too many people say, well, I'm not getting involved. That's none of my business. I don't want to stir anything up. And you know, Jesus wasn't afraid. Many times he spoke the harshest words to the hardest hearts. And he spoke the softest words, the softest hearts. You know, the funny thing I was thinking was sometimes hard words are what are needed to soften hearts. And of course, sometimes soft words can harden hearts as well. Isn't that true? Of course, Jesus had to be hard sometimes because many times he was confronting pride. But either way, we know that he always spoke the uncompromising truth. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus didn't just say believe. That's what people think. That's all they have to do today. No, he said repent and believe. How do you know? Those words are not popular today. They weren't popular back then, and they're not popular today. What do you mean I've got to repent? Yeah, you've got to turn from your ways. Follow him. Do things his way. We've got to face the fact that the gospel, that uncompromising truth, many times isn't popular, and it will offend some, but I, I read something where I, I read somewhere it said, it comfor- the word of God comforts the afflicted, but afflicts the comfortable. Isn't that good? 
The Word of God comforts the afflicted, but afflicts the comfortable. 2 Corinthians 15, I'm sorry, 2, 15 and 16 says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. But to the one we are an aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? I think it'll make a little more sense. Let me read to you from the Message Bible. It says, Because of Christ, we, believers, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation, other believers as an, or on the way to salvation, as an aroma redolent with life. But to those who are on the way to destruction, they treat us more like a stench from a rotting corpse. Right? The word of God is word of life, words of life to those who are seeking God. To those who are opposed, who are going the other direction, it's as the stench from a rotting corpse. This doesn't mean that we go around with no tact disrespecting others and trying to convince people to buy into our opinions. That's not what it's about at all. And unfortunately, I think that's crept way too much into the, into the church today. Jesus' voice was very carefully tailored and expressed exactly what was needed at the right time to the right person with the right motives. How many of you struggle with motives sometimes? You stop and you look at the motives of your heart and you go, oh man, I didn't say that with the right motives. Jesus always had the right motives. We can only capture this from God's heart, which we find in his word. We must be the uncompromising voice of Jesus in the earth today, regardless of what happens, regardless of how popular or unpopular it may be. We have to be his voice. And I believe there's never been a time that the voice of life and hope and truth, the gospel, was more needed than today. So we are to be the heart of Jesus. We are to be the hands of Jesus. We are to be the voice of Jesus. And the last thing I want to mention is we are to be the feet of Jesus. We are to be the feet of Jesus. And I look at this a number of ways. Firstly, too much of the church is sitting on the sidelines today, waiting on somebody else to go forth and do what needs to be done. I believe this is about walking the talk Getting up off our rear ends and going and actually doing it and actually being Jesus rather than hearing about Jesus. Jesus didn't just talk the talk, he walked it. He didn't sit on the bench, he didn't sit on the sidelines. You know that Jesus, his whole life, he was fully engaged. He was motivated and empowered by love. He didn't expect others to do things that he wouldn't do. He wasn't afraid to get down into the trenches and get dirty to do what needed to be done. He didn't just hope that someone else, someone else would come along to love a person. He didn't just say to love, Jesus loved. He didn't just say to forgive, he forgave. He didn't just say to deny yourself, he most certainly denied himself. He didn't just say to give, he gave. He didn't just say to go into the world. He did it. He did it all first. And then he said, follow me. Jesus addressed those we're going to go to. In Matthew 25, it talks about the poor, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the stranger. This takes an effort and a passion and a heart for people, for the hurting Psalm 34, 18 tells us that God is near the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. That tells us who we're supposed to go to. 
The Bible tells us that God is a defender of the poor, of the orphans, and the widows. But he's that defender through us. We have to be ready every day to do the work. In Luke chapter 9, do you remember this place in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus, um, he, he sent his disciples out on a little missions trip. He'd been training them up and he sent them out to do the work for a little while, right? Y'all remember that? And in Luke chapter 9, we see that they've, they've just come back from this. They've gone forth and they've preached. They've seen healings and miracles and all these different things. And in, in Luke chapter 9, we see where they're just coming back together. They've had this very effective trip where they've gone out in pairs. And Jesus, they get together with Jesus, and Jesus starts to take them away to go to, to rest and, and to kind of, basically to kind of debrief, right? Jesus was the master. He was the coach. He's leading and training. So he's taking them to rest and to debrief after this whole thing. And, you know, that's a very important part of their training. But along the way, in Luke chapter 9, it tells us, that suddenly they were confronted with a crowd of people who were pursuing them. Now, many of us in that moment would be going, I got, I got a job to do. I'm on a mission. I got something I'm trying to do right here. I need to talk to the disciples. They just got back. But you got this person, this person, this person that needs us. If you look at it, Luke chapter 9, firstly, it says that Jesus welcomed them. He wasn't just putting up with them. We see there that he was genuinely glad to interrupt what was going on in order to serve this crowd that was chasing him down. And I think this is a place where many of us fall short. I know I've been guilty. We might do the right thing sometimes by allowing somebody to interrupt our plans, but how many times did we do it with the right attitude? How many times did we do it with the right heart? Secondly, it says that Jesus speaks to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed all those that needed healing. He, he addresses both their physical needs, and he addresses their spiritual needs. He doesn't just fix the symptoms of their sickness. He goes to the root cause, addresses the spiritual issues. This is who we are to be as well. But as I said, being the hands and feet, the heart and the voice of Jesus in the earth isn't always real popular, right? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 says, What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that's well-deserved. Isn't that right? We can kind of accept punishment that we deserve. All right, I was wrong, Right? But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that's what counts to God. That's where most of us today would be screaming, that's not fair. Right? But, Jesus, but he's saying here, Peter says here that this is what counts to God. This is the kind of life you've been invited to. Well, yee-haw. Doesn't that sound great? This is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life that Jesus lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it can be done. Okay, Jesus can do it. I can do it. And also know how to do it step by step. In other words, we've got to be like Jesus. We've got to do things his way, right? Being Jesus in the earth isn't always popular. But as long as there are lost and hurting people in the world it will always be worth the cost. Amen? 
That's a pitiful amen. We've got to go forth and be the hands and the feet and the heart and the voice of Jesus. If not you, then who? Who are we going to deflect that off onto? Our responsibilities in the body of Christ. I just read, just, I just threw this in here. I read the other day some facts um, about the world. It said over 3 billion people in the world live on less than $2.50 a day. Over 1 billion, what, what do we have, 7 or 8 billion people in the world? Over 1 billion live on less than a dollar a day. You know, there's 85 million child laborers that are forced to do dangerous work in the world every day. Nearly 2 million children are currently exploited in the sex trade. Every day, over 6,000 children under the age of 5 die from diseases spread just from unsafe water. Hey, you know, we don't even have to look that far. We encounter broke and lost and hurting people every stinking day of our lives. And many times we work right next to them every single day and we do nothing. And we're the body of Christ. Are you still the body of Christ and you're sitting there saying nothing? Yeah, you've got the body of Christ tied up and gagged. Jesus wants to touch that person so bad. He wants to love them so much. He wants to heal their hurt so badly. He wants to bring them to salvation. Where's the point that we step out and we choose to take responsibility? We choose to be who God's called us to be as believers. And we choose to be Jesus to others. As believers, we can't stand by knowing that there's lost or all around us. We should be praying every day that God would open our eyes to every person we come in contact with so that we have an awareness that every person we encounter is either lost or saved. We, have to pray, we should be praying every day that God would give us his heart, that our, our heart would break as his breaks and it would rejoice when his, rejo- his rejoices. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We must be Jesus in the world today. A quick story I read recently said during World War II in Strasbourg, Germany, um, a church was totally destroyed. But a statue of Jesus, which stood at the altar, was almost unharmed during the war. Only the hands of the statue, the statue of Jesus, were missing. When the church was rebuilt, a famous sculptor came in and offered to make new hands. But after considering the matter, the members decided to let it stand as it was, without hands. For they said, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work on the earth. If we don't feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, entertain the stranger, visit the imprisoned, and clothe the naked, then who will? Show the picture. You can go see that statue still standing there today. They left it without hands because they recognize that they, the church, recognized that they were the hands. God is asking us to do the very things that Jesus did as he walked the earth. If the gospel we preach doesn't have action to it, it's not the gospel. I'm going to end with a quote. I read this recently. This is from St. Teresa in the 1500s. She said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. I want to challenge you guys. We're going to talk more in the next couple of weeks about some practical things that we can do, but I challenge you guys to walk with your eyes open this week. God gives us opportunities every day to be Jesus to those around us. And we're so focused and we're so busy, I think that we miss it two-thirds of the time, maybe, maybe all the time. <laughs> I actually, I was talking to Sean about that a few days ago, um, I challenge you guys to do something this week. Go out of the ordinary. Do something that you would not normally do. Notice somebody, wherever they're at. Speak to them. Give some needy person. Give them, meet, meet a need that they have, whatever it may be. And I, I, I want to challenge you to the point that I want, I want to get some emails this week. I want to hear from some of you something that you did. You were the hands and the feet of Jesus something you did to bless somebody else. I know it's, it's difficult sometimes because we, we don't necessarily want to bring attention to ourselves, right? Oh, look what I did. Oh, I just, you know, I just spoke to this person. Oh, I gave that guy on the corner a dollar. Woo. But guys, we've got to do more. And I want to start this going. I want to start hearing the testimonies of what Church of the Harvest is doing in our workplaces, on the streets, in the stores, in our families, whatever it may be. You may not even see the results. You may just be a seed that's planted. You may be utterly rejected in a moment. It might be somebody that you just feel, you're, somebody you just feel like you need to pray with. You go to them and say, hey, can, can I pray with you? And they may say, no. God still honors the fact that you are willing to step out and you are willing to be Jesus in that moment. And so I'm gonna challenge you guys this week to begin to step out of your comfort zone. Begin to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Let's have our eyes wide open. Instead of going to the store like I do with blinders on, knowing I just need that loaf of bread. I just need a loaf of bread. There's the bread aisle. <laughs> Go for it. Look around at where God has placed you in that very moment. Doesn't mean you have to spend all day there. <laughs> Who knows? You might. But look for opportunities. Because God has placed them all around you. We don't have to run off to the missions field. We don't have to go screaming on a street corner. There's lost around us every day. There's people who are hurting. There's people who are needy. There's some people that it may be just a smile from you would stop them from committing suicide that night. You never know. Let's be the hands and the feet, the heart, the, eye, the voice of Jesus. Amen? Let's stand up together. Let's close our eyes. My worship team to come up. Let's just close our eyes across this place. Guys, Jesus said that we would know people are believers by their fruit. And I would ask you right now, as the worship team begins to play, I would ask you, what is the fruit that's coming forth from your life? What is it that people see? They see somebody 
that's just closed off and busy. They see somebody that doesn't seem to care. Or do they see somebody that will go, that has, that has a love that is so deep that they would go to whatever length was necessary to reach others? What is the fruit? Living from the inside out, what is the fruit that's coming forth from your life as you live, as you walk through the earth every day? Just meditated on it for a moment. I believe to any believer, anybody that's got a heart after God, that's a humbling question. Guys, it's one of the greatest challenges in my life right now. be that shining example of Jesus everywhere that I go. And I know I'm with most of you. I have failed over and over and over again. Many times I haven't responded the way I wished I had. The words that came out of my mouth, I wished I could take back. The self-centeredness. about you, but I want to do more. I want to do better. I want to be that shining beacon of hope in a lost and dying world. Guys, the world needs Jesus, and they're only going to see it in you. They need Jesus, and he can only shine through you. What are you going to do? Do we keep living the same comfortable life? Or do we recognize what we were truly created to do? The only thing in this life that's ever truly going to give us satisfaction. with every head bowed first and foremost if you're here and you recognize that your heart isn't even surrendered to Jesus and you think man I wish I was a part of something bigger like we just talked about when you recognize that you've lived life long enough on your own trying to figure out things in your own strength motivated by the wrong things in life down and out and depressed living for the weekend that's you and you recognize that your life is not surrendered to Jesus you're not a part of the body of Christ you've been trying to make your way on your own if that's you I would say today is the day of salvation please don't wait another moment you can be that new creation as well the Bible says basically what we have to do is we got to repent and we've got to believe we believe what do we believe we believe that Jesus is who he says he is We believe that he is the son of God, that he came, that he lived that sinless life, that he died in your place, taking your sin and your shame and your punishment. He died with you on his mind. 
but even death couldn't hold him. After three days, he rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And now God calls you who've accepted Christ. He calls you his very own. If that's you and you would recognize that you have not, you, you have not surrendered your life to Christ, you need to do that this day. Just, I want you to look up at me real quick. Just raise your hand and look up at me right quick. Who would say, I need to get my life right with God today? Anybody in this place would say, I have got to get my life right. I've got to be a part of the body of Christ. I've got to be part of something bigger. I want to make a difference in this life. Anybody in this place? Okay, one. Anybody else? Well, we're going to pray together. If you're here and you didn't lift your hand, man, no condemnation. The Bible says, as we say these words, recognize that it's not about the words, it's just simply about the position of your heart. going to pray together if you say these words and you mean them the Bible says that you're snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light that you're made that new creation you're grafted into the body of Christ all things are made new and you'll find that you have purpose you'll find that the creator of the universe walks with you through the good times through the bad times you'll find that you can have joy in the midst of trials and the good news is when this life ends and you take your last breath you don't have to doubt for a second that you'll find yourself standing with Jesus. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus, the blameless Son of God, the Lamb of God, who came, took my sin, took my shame, took my guilt, took my sickness, and he took it to the cross. He took it to the grave. He died in my place. And Lord, I'm so thankful. Jesus, today I call you the Lord of my life. I choose to follow you and you alone. I'm gonna do things your way. I'm gonna turn from my old life and I'm gonna follow you to the end. I'm gonna make a difference in this life. I'm gonna do the things that you did. I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to fulfill my God-given destiny. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer today. I pray, Lord, that you would just fill them right now. They would sense your presence and your love and your embrace. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are there touching them. I pray, Lord, you would surround them by godly influences. Lord, that they would jump into your word and they would truly get to know your heart. They would discover who you really are, not who they've heard about in this life, not who they've seen displayed by other people, but who your word says that you are. God, we thank you. for the privilege of being the heart, the hands, the voice, the feet of Jesus. What a great responsibility you've given us. God, I thank you that you've entrusted it to us. And Lord, we take it seriously. We recognize that it goes above and beyond anything else we see in this life. It is the top priority. Lord, 
want to make a difference. We want to see your kingdom expanded. We want every ear to hear the good news. We want lives to be touched and healed. We want the broken to be restored. We want to see hope to the hopeless. And Lord, we humbly today recognize that that happens as you work through us, as we yield to you. God, today, that's exactly what we do. We yield our hearts. If that's you, I just, I just encourage you to lift your hands for a moment. We lift our hands as a sign of surrender. And I just encourage you to lift your hands for a moment just as a symbol that you're yielding your life to God. That you're saying, Lord, no longer my way, but your way. I'm done living a life that I try to figure out on my own. I'm done being that failure. Just begin to, just begin to say it to him now. Just say, Lord, I ask you to use me. Lord, I ask you to give me divine appointments. Lord, help me to make a difference. Lord, reveal to me those around me who are hurting and lost. Just, just, just begin to tell the Lord, I thank you that my hands are healing hands. I thank you, Lord, that my heart beats with the heartbeat of the Father. Lord, I thank you that I'm full of compassion. I thank you, Lord, that I'm full of patience. I thank you, Lord, that I walk in the attributes of Jesus. That's who I am. I'm that new creation. I step forth into everything that I'm called to do in Jesus' name. I don't shy away. I don't try to follow my own agenda. But Lord, I walk in footstep with you. Be in your hands. Be in your heart. Be in your voice. Be in your feet. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love. As we conclude, I want to ask our prayer partners to come down again one more time. prayer need of any kind we do invite you to come down if you gave your life to Christ or rededicated your life today we invite you to come down ask you to come down and, and, and tell one of these this morning or you can come down and tell me in just a moment as we conclude because I want you to recognize something God has given you everything you need to be his hands and feet he's given you everything you need touch this world with the gospel of Jesus. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You are-